just stand here and smile a while <laughs> to see you all here and I just blessed um, and you don't know it but Warren wasn't on the main schedule till yesterday and Michael wasn't on the schedule till this morning because of uh, people not being able to fill in uh, to take their place so it's a blessing to be a part of a church community that can be so prompt, so willing, may I say eager, <laughs> we'll see, we'll let that one go, but that's a blessing to see you all here. We don't know, um, we don't always know um, whether whether um, we, it was the best decision or not to gather together here. Maybe a time that we will say it was really good we did. There may be a time that we might say, you know, maybe if depending what happens, that maybe we should have waited. We don't know that. But I trust if it goes one way or the other, which it will probably, that no one is saying, I told you so, that we love each other care for each other I don't know if we have prayer yet this morning don't remember that we have if you could could you stand for prayer still let's pray Lord we do pause before you Um, we have heard how you care for your people that we do not need to worry and that you call your sheep by name, and Lord, you are our shepherd. We thank you for that this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to shepherd us here. Lead us, lead each one of the families here. We're all at different places. We all have different experiences, Lord. And then I pray especially for the mothers this morning, that that you would shepherd them comfort them and grace them with your strength and power and comfort and I uh, just pray Lord as we go out from here that uh, that we will be effective as we have sung this morning about your kingdom that we are your kingdom on earth that we go out even as soldiers for war but we do not damage we Lord we do damage against Satan's kingdom And, Lord, we fight for you. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Proverbs 19.4 says, Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers. Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, the paraphrase version is something like this. Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. And Proverbs 31.30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, in context... This is a wife and mother, however, this 
woman that feared the Lord can be any person, specifically a wife and a mother in this context, but applies to women, single or married, girls. I think of everybody. I think of men don't apply because men don't usually look for favor and beauty. You know, that's not their that's not their avenue so much. They look for strength. The strength of youth is the I forget kind of think of strength. However, the glory of youth is in their strength. That's what it is. So the youth glory and strength, but women, girls, they. Uh, they look favor and they look for beauty. But a woman that feared the Lord, she shall be praised. So as I thought of Mother's Day and a message of encouragement, I need to acknowledge that godly women and godly wives are a blessing from the Lord. They're an expression of the love of God. If God would hate us, he could give us ungodly mothers, and I would think that would be pretty effective. Uh, Just follow me a little bit. If God would love a little child, he would give her a godly mother to nurture, to protect, to train. That little child would feel secure and would prosper. As she grows or he grows up. And with the continual guidance of that mother, that child can grow up and be launched into the world and be successful in what God has for that child. Of course, we do not say that God does not love children, even those who do not have good mothers. It's the fact that it's it's part of, of the enormous tragedy of the fall of man that there are millions of children who are not loved, who are not cared for, who are not nurtured. Millions of mothers who cannot or do not properly care for their children. Once there was a Christian group singing in a prison, and one of the songs they sang was, If I could hear my mother pray again. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. Talked about a godly mother praying for her child. And this one prisoner said, if I would have had such a mother, I wouldn't be here. All I heard from my mother was curses and beatings. She pulled my hair and she chased me out of the house. And I'm still angry with her. So it's enough to break our hearts to think about that. But that is a reality even on this Mother's Day. Most mothers are not that abusive. And uh, I say common grace, we call common grace, the grace that God gives to everybody. It enables even non-Christian mothers to, to do some degree of nurturing their children and care for them. Much research has gone to discover what is an effective way to develop a growing child and what works to bring a desired result. So research is done. What works to raise a child and bring the desired result? 
There's a lot of self-help books, a lot of videos, a lot of techniques to raise your children. And they can be quite informative. They tell you what to do in what sequence to get what you want. But what is missing there in those, in just that part? What is missing is a woman who fears the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, mothers who fear God are in a position to learn and to function in a way that pleases God. And this woman, coupled with a growing knowledge of his word, and coupled with techniques and wisdom, is in a place to raise her child, her children. Because a mother is not honorable just by virtue of being a mother, just like a father is not honorable just by being a father. You can think of many fathers who are absent. They're not honorable. Um, even old people, an old person is honored by his character. Here's another Proverbs 16.31. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So a woman who fears God will obey God and follow his pattern. She has the character traits and the activities that is worthy of such praise. Now, there's a lot of places I could go for a scripture this morning as we talk about encouragement for godly mothers, godly women. Proverbs 31 is the classic scripture. It's a well-rounded example. And as the scripture there says, she is rare. She is more precious than rubies. This morning, though, for uh, a message for mothers, I will t go to the pastoral epistles. I'll go to Titus 2, but you don't have to turn there yet because I have another scripture before there. But we're going to look in Titus chapter 2 a little later. The message this morning is Mothers Teaching Mothers <laughs> for a title. Titus is at Crete, and Crete from what I understand, it's a pretty ungodly place. The raw material that God had to establish a church is probably pretty rough and quite uh, inordinate. If the Christians are always liars and evil beasts and slow bellies, it seems they didn't have model homes. I don't know. Would you describe that as a model homes? It's a description of the culture. Now, I know that when you have a blanket statement, it doesn't apply to everyone, and I know that. But we're talking about a culture that wasn't desirable. But outside the enclaves of Christian um, groups and cultures like ours, I'd like to ask the question, is our culture much better than that? I'd like to ask that. Think about that. Is our culture, in general, when we think of the sex and the violence and the media-saturated culture that directly militates against the priceless woman and mother? We live in the Christian culture. 
Something similar to that. If you were to go in basically any public school in this country and you'd ask a girl, ask the girls, you're going to do a survey. You can ask uh, a, a large number of girls, what do you want to be when you grow up? Would you have one in a hundred that would say, when I grow up, I want to be a I want to get married, I want to be a mother, and I want to stay at home. How many would say that? Probably not one in a hundred. Why not? Because it's not valued. Marriage is not valued in general as much, nor children, and especially not homemaking. But does God value that? Yes. Does the Bible say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn there. <laughs> um, you can turn to 1 Timothy 5.14. And I want your eyes to look on this verse. I discovered this verse this past week. Does God value marriage and children and homemaking? This is the context of young widows, Okay. And so it's, it's very specific, but it still gives a will here. Let's read here. I will, therefore, that the younger women, talking about widows in this context, marry, bear children, guide the house. Give none occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully. It is his will, Paul says. It's the same will that Paul gives in uh, earlier in Timothy's when he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. It's, it's the will of God. And, and in like manner, I will in like manner that women dress in modest apparel. You know, so it's a clear will of God. Now for balance here, not every woman will be a wife. Or a mother. A woman is not inevitably nor necessarily a mother. But if she is, God does have some things to say to her. And then I, I'm going to read a paraphrase of Psalms 1. Uh, not paraphrase, I'm going to just adjust it a little bit. Psalms 1. Blessed is the mother who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law she meditates day and night. She is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf shall not wither, and all that she doeth shall prosper. We are in a land... In a land that is full of scoffers and sinners and scornful. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to childbearing, when it comes to homemaking. The whole push for the government-funded universal daycare. That whole push militates against the very thing that God says we should value. But a godly mother will not listen to them. Instead, she will soak up the word of God, and then God promises fruitfulness there. 
So let's do a little bit of that this morning. So now you can turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, speak out of things which become sound doctrine. Those things which are becoming for sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Well, what we're going to read afterwards is something that lines up with sound doctrine. But what is sound doctrine? Well, sound doctrine is God is our creator. We are fallen sinners. Jesus died to save us and has and those of us who have trusted in him, he has put his spirit in us. And then we live for him and we delight in his law. That is sound doctrine. That's the gospel. Okay. Now, what follows here are attitudes and behaviors that accord with that sound doctrine. Okay. It's like a piano. Um, There's some notes that accord with other notes. And I'm not experienced, and I don't know a lot about music, uh, formal training and so on. I have experience with it, but not formally training. But I can tell if there's chords out of chord, there's discord, okay? There's some notes that go together, and there's some notes that do not go together. So it is. There are some behaviors and actions that accord with the fact that we are saved and are God's children. And then there are other activities and attitudes that do not accord with the gospel. <clears throat> when someone plays the piano, yeah, I used to have no idea that there were some things like sharps or flats. In my youth and early marriage life. In fact, I don't know when I when it came, but I think it was through my children that I first. They were they, they're the first ones who informed me that you're. That's a flat. You're not flatting it. Oh. <laughs> um, I I know I listened to songs. I could hear. Well, they sing different than what I. Well, you know, I could I could hear the flat, but I didn't know what it meant. And then I realized, well, I was the one who sounded strange, not the song. Well, so later on, I realized as I got more, and I don't know a whole lot yet, so I don't know what all I'm doing wrong. You are definitely welcome to uh, inform me when I am not singing correctly, okay? But here is the point. It's so with the Bible, The more you know the Bible, the more you will know what accords with sound doctrine. The more you understand the word, the more you know what God's will is. And so there are areas in our lives that are in discord with God's word, with his gospel. They don't line up, but you might not know it. And so that's one thing why we study the word of God. And that's one thing why we get together on a Sunday morning like this. And, and things like that, because we are Christians and we want to, we delight in his law and we want to do his will. So sometimes you may wonder why somebody does this strange thing and later on you realize they're not doing the strange thing. They were in lining up with the gospel and later on you might find out 
that is true, like I did in, in singing, and change, and accord. So let's read Titus chapter 2, we'll read uh, verses 2 to 5 now. Now remember, this is not the sound doctrine. This is what accords to the sound doctrine. It's what accords to the gospel. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So we're looking at the word, what it says about godly mothers and women who fear the Lord. And we'll first look at the age of women. I have a real personal question. Do we have any aged women here? <laughs> we can admit somebody, once someone of some here can admit that they're aged, then they know that they have a, a something to do. But don't be afraid of that word. That word aged is the same word as elder. So I, if I am an elder, then I am considered aged as well. But it means older. The aged women, likewise, that they be. Okay, let's stop there. The aged women are to be something. Before we do, we are to be. Now, that's God's pattern. I know that there's some overlap because you don't be everything you ought to be before you do things. And so there's overlap, okay? Even as you are not everything you ought to be, you begin doing, and they grow together. But that the aged women be. Well, look at that first. Because this is what the self-help books miss. Okay? If you're, I mean, I, I, they vary a lot, but in general, they are not so concerned about what you be, what you be. That's not their concern. Their concern is, is that, just just follow these techniques and things will work out. But the most essential part of a mother or a godly woman is who you be, not what you do first. So what is what are we to be? Being is essential. What are we to be here? That they be in behavior as becometh holiness. The be in behavior does not actually mean what you actually primarily what you do. It means behavior means something you do, but it's actually not the real Greek meaning of that word. Uh, what it means is actually um, a con- what well, this is vines. It's a condition or a constitution or a deportment. It's a demeanor. It's it's a spirit. It's it's a deportment. What does deportment mean? Well, it's the manner in which one conducts itself or herself. It's the manner. So you're going to conduct yourself. Every one of us conducts yourself. Every one of us has a deportment. 
Okay? So that's a given. So it's, she is to be in deportment as becometh holiness. So what for deportment can you have? Well, you can have an arrogant one. You can have a, you know, I'm, I'm me and you can do what I say. Or you can have a, you can have a um, sar- sarcastic one. You can have a detached one. You can have a harsh deportment general. Or you can have a gentle and caring and firm and open. Titus, teach the older women that they have a deportment that becomes holiness. That's what Titus is to teach the older women. Someone that is fitting, like someone who is separated from the values of the surrounding culture. Someone who has a deportment that fits the gospel of God. Then, then you have some practicals. Well, what, are, what are the older women to be taught? Well, they're not false accusers. Um, maybe not gossips there. Not given to much wine. And teachers of good things that they may teach the young women. So here is God's pattern for perpetuating godliness to the coming generation. Wisdom passed down from one generation to the other. That is God's plan. Before Google came, we used to know that, right? Now we don't. Now we go on YouTube and we go on Google and we find everything we want. Don't miss this. The godly women teach the younger women. So we'll teach talk about that this morning before I get down a tangent. But there's one more, there's one problem here. The older are to teach the younger. All the older are to do that, but not all women, just like not all men, are teachers. So what? Not all had the gift of teaching. So is, some, is God putting something on women that some of them don't have the gift? Something that you older women cannot do. Well, in this context, it does not mean formal teaching. Not necessarily. It's not necessarily having an older woman, older woman stand up front here and have the younger women sit in chairs with notebooks and she teaches them. It can be that and it shall be that to some degree, but it's not what it's talking about. It's not a classroom setting. It's not a formal setting. So um, how do they teach? Well, they teach by example. They teach by influence. They teach privately, one-on-one, hand things together, conversation. They do it by being a role model to the younger, that the younger can observe. And, of course, general interaction at church and during the week. All older women are to be, and then they are to influence the younger. If the older woman has joy, it'll be attractive to the younger. If the older woman has peace, and if she is kind, and if she is stable in tumultuous time, that, that gives um, 
it, it gives that stability in the younger women's life as to watch an older woman that has gone through the battles and they see them. There's a blessing there. Basically, if the older woman, older women are exhibiting the divine fruits of the spirit, to the extent, to that extent, they will be influential, even if they never give formal teaching or a lecture. So don't feel bad if you are not a teacher here and an older woman. Don't feel bad. You are still a teacher. You are. And God bless you who are teachers. And God, we need you too. (laughs) Okay, what are they to teach? What we have here is six adjectives. Six descriptions that they are to teach the younger women. And it it, is assumed that these six adjectives are already a part of the older women's lives. So whether they are teaching formally or by example, they are the biblical descriptions that are important for the younger to learn and practice. And by God's grace to internalize as part of their character. So six characters, and uh, the, the verse just goes on here in Titus 2, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Now, it looked like sober is the first of those adjectives, but it is not. Sober, is, it, it, it's the way it's worded in the King James there, it, it looks that way. Um, I didn't actually check in the other translations. If I read in the paraphrase, it just simply says, the older women must train the younger women to go right to love their husbands. And that is that is correct. You look in the Greek. And uh, I don't know if I can explain that. But it just simply means that they may... Uh, I'm not going to go into that. Just take my word for it and maybe in, uh, in private. It's a little complicated. But the first adjective is to love their husbands. Older women are to teach their younger women by example, by a role model, by, um, by teaching and practicality how to love their husbands. And that word means fond of man or affectionate as a wife, right out of Strong's. Basically, it means a husband lover. Be a husband lover. Teach the younger women to be husband lovers. Well, why do you need to be trained to do that? I mean, you married him because you loved him. But can we be honest? Do you always love that man? The men, let's just ask the question to the men. Men, husbands, are you always lovable? I don't know. Nobody's answering. Are we ever lovable? (laughs) (laughs) older women have had some experiences and they have worked through some things that younger women have not. How does a husband lover love? Well, I out of right out of vines here. I'm going to let the practicalities and the words I go let you, 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 I go let you older ladies Describe that to the younger. I'm not going to get into that one. But uh, right out of Vines here, her husband is dear. In fact, he is a friend. 
She is actively fond of him. She is friendly. She loves her husband. And this one I put in, she does not practice social distancing. And just a side note for that, my wife tested positive for COVID-19. And I took a blood sample Thursday night. I'll probably find out tomorrow whether I'm positive. If I'm negative, don't come knocking my door and saying I'm socially distancing from my wife because I didn't get it. Um, if I'm negative, I'm not going to do any explaining. I, I, let, let the virus explain itself. Don't, don't get me to explain that. At least don't discipline me in public. You can come to talk to me in private maybe. But the younger one, teach the older one or to teach the younger ones to love their husbands. Okay, the second one is she is to be trained to love her children. She's to be fond of her children. She's to be maternal. Now, clearly that means in our day, it doesn't, it means obviously in our day, don't abort your baby. That's not loving your children. But beyond that, love the coming baby. Love children in general even if it's inconvenient at the moment. But in the way you interact and train your children in the everyday humdrum and stress of life, be fond of them. Love their little bodies. Love their little emotions. Love their little souls and instruct them. Nurture them. Train them. Tell them about God. See, a woman is designed to be a mother. So ordinarily, a married woman will bear children. She will participate in God's plan to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and make copies of herself and her husband. A woman, that is a woman's role, God-given role in his plan. I remember my mom speaking to her neighbor years ago. And I think there was a young Christian wife. I don't think they were conservative. I don't remember all the details. At least they weren't as conservative as we were. Among many things she said, this neighbor said, a young married woman said, we are planning to have children once we can afford it. She could have said, we will have children when it is convenient for us. Once our, I don't know, she didn't say this, but in, in general, once our schooling is done or once we hit this or that is established or whatever it is, when we get our debts paid off, that's our modern culture. They are not lovers of children. Children in general are not valued. Uh, the abortion culture says that very well, but beyond that, most people who are married desire only one or two or at the most three children. And it's not that we can't afford it. We are about the richest country on earth, and we're saying we can't afford children. It's not true. It, the problem is that children get in the way of our lives and our lifestyle. We have our own plans, and children disrupt that. So I think I'm probably preaching to the choir this morning. We love children here. 
as a whole, I'm sure. But I need to bring that up lest we be unduly influenced by our culture. And so it could be the younger ones coming on. They have the influence of the older mothers and they have the influence of the dominant culture. And older women are to teach the younger women to love their children and to love children. Okay, number four, number three. Number three of this is to be discreet. The older women are to teach the younger women to be discreet, to be sound in mind, to be self-controlled, to be moderate as to opinion or passion. Moderate in opinion or passion. In the vernacular, it basically means the older women are to teach the younger women to have their heads screwed on right. That's pretty well what it means. And do you understand that? Okay. And by the way, uh, just while I'm thinking of it, I should have talked. To, I should have said this in the last point. There are some wives, mothers, or would-be mothers who would love children and cannot bear children. And I want to be sympathetic to that. I forgot to mention that. That it is that is a hard thing. Or some mothers who cannot have children who would like to have children. So just a word there. So back there, have their heads screwed on right, which means to be moderate as to opinion and passion. Because back then, there were many ways to be inordinate. Are there any less now? It's uh, the older women, it says in um, some other places, are not to be gossips. They're not to be enslaved to substances whether food or drink or activities. It seems that that might need to be taught to the younger as well. I have a co-worker. They're not Christians, but they are married, and they have a few children. And uh, she is not a description of a godly woman. None of these six points does she meet. But in this area, she feels she excels in failing as far as to be sound in mind or self-controlled or moderate. She says she is bipolar, and she uses that as an example for her wild emotional swings. And, 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 and I know there's, there's, there's things that go on, but she can be very happy and pleasant at one moment, and the next moment she can be in a rage, and it's just that. Um, most of us don't face it that extreme but younger women the bible here says titus paul is telling titus to tell the older women to teach the younger women to be moderate in their emotions that's what it means to have control over their emotions and to have their emotions as a servant as a help and not a master and um, obviously, you can teach that, but I have learned, I'm thinking how many examples, I don't have any clock here, so I don't know how long we can go. I grew up in a home that we related to life in a certain way. 
And it was it was good, but there were some some negative parts in it. And then I went to a family operated business, my first job when I was 19. I, I worked at home. I lived at home on the farm till I was 19. My first job, I was 19. And it was a family operated business. And the father and his sons were working there and I worked with them. And he had a different way of relating. He didn't teach me. He didn't tell me, but I observed and I learned, and I learned good things. So maybe older women, you can, by example, teach the younger women how to have control of their emotions and how to have passion, how to have emotions, but that they're properly screwed on right. Let's say it that way. Okay, four. It's, uh, fourth one is to be chaste. Morally pure. We often think, when we talk about moral purity, we often think about young men, boys, and men. And that is an issue. But God says young married women need training in this area. So the obvious point is that she is to be attracted only to her husband. She guards her emotions and does not let them wander into forbidden pastures occupied by other men. So she holds all her desires and her affections for one man, her husband. It also means to be modest. It means to be clean. It means to be innocent. It means that she doesn't read books that are purposefully designed to stir fantasies and romantic thoughts. We didn't have TV in our house, but I understand that the sitcoms on TV um, back in the before maybe most of the women went to work, the wives sat at home and, and, and watched sitcoms during the day. I don't know. Anybody know what they are? Some of you as you do probably. But I understand they're, they're designed a little bit like romance books. They have all those emotions going on there. And so they sat home and did that. But we can do the same thing with other, with other avenues. Idle wives sitting at home watching TV sitcoms or wives or girls in our homes reading romance books. Now, older women, you know the traps better than I do. So you can teach the younger women to be chaste, clean, and pure, and holy. Fifth, if the young women are to be taught to be keepers at home. Now, depending on which Greek text one uses talking about the received text or the Nestle text or so on. It has a little bit different. One is rendered a homekeeper. The other is rendered a home worker. The King James received text has the word homekeeper. That's where we get the keepers at home. And some of the others have home worker. And right out of Strong's, it's a stayer at home to be domestically inclined. That's vines. So, yes, does this need to be taught well, it won't get it from your culture. You won't get this point from the surrounding culture. There was a lobbyist or a policymaker in Washington recently that was chastising the legislative branch officials about their outdated policies and laws. And this is what she said to get her point across. She said, 
that the caregiver breadwinner model does not exist anymore. Caregiver being the wife, the breadwinner being the husband. That model was the norm 40 or 50 years ago, but it simply today simply does not exist. The, the model is the lifestyle that there are two parents in a household with children where the mother stays at home and the father earns a living. That used to be the case, but not anymore. It does not exist. So now why don't we change the laws in our state to reflect what exists? Now, many sociologists agree that much of the decline in America points to changes that have occurred in the family, the core of which is the wife mother. Ethics and morals in America have undergone serious and perhaps irreversible change. So many women are working out of the home that the family structure has too often collapsed. Now, the godly woman has always been a foundation and a pivotal point of the family. She has kept the family functioning and operative. She has been the main one to offer the majority of training and guidance to the children. The godly mother has gone through the, has through the years been the voice of the family who reads the Bible and provides spiritual guidance. Obviously, the father is obviously to be a part of that. But it is she who provides the important example to her daughters as to what a lady, wife, and mother should be. She also influences by example as to the quality in a wife for which her sons are to look for when they seek a wife. Do we know how much we lose when we listen to the voice of, God, uh, voice of the world and not the voice of God? It's not always immediately evident, but when our culture has shifted, and it wasn't immediately evident, but the evidence comes, the fruit eventually comes. It will in time. And so we are not to neglect this important commandment of God because it is is as important as purity. And I know we can discuss what does that look like, how much outside the home, how much in the home, what are the perimeters. See, the godly mother, the godly wife, she is an active person. She's not passive. She's an active person. And um, so there are... There are, um, you can't shoehorn everything in, but God says something we want to keep, something we want to listen to, that there are older women, he to younger women, to be keepers at home, to guide the house. If we look at, a, at the scripture we had read before about the widows, it actually means to be a ruler of your house. It means to be a despot. It means to, to actually take charge. <laughs> She is, it's her domain. She like the Proverbs 31 woman was, which she also did some work outside the home, but she was domestically inclined. It was her domain, that home. And the sixth one is simply good. Teach older women, you teach younger women to be good. Good. Well, it's, it's, it's an adjective, like a good fruit. You have fruit, then you have good fruit you have uh works or you have good works or you have um 
a good tree. Yes, there's many ways. It's just natural. So teach a younger woman to be a good mother, a good wife. That's basically what it means. And that ends, ends the adjectives that describe the young godly woman, what she is to be taught and what she is to become. And then at the end, there's a verb that pulls it all together. And that is obedient to their own husbands. This is a reverent, willing, conscious subjection of herself to her own husband. Now, I want to put a qualifier in here. There is, I don't know, maybe you can correct me, but I did not find any commandment in the scripture where a man, a husband, is to bring his wife into subjection. I don't see that. He is to love her. He is to cherish her. He is not to be bitter against her. But he does not have a command to subject her to himself. But the wife has a command to subject herself to her husband. To voluntarily rein herself in and embrace the God-given headship over her. And to subject to her own husband because she is not running the mission. She is running in submission. That is God's plan. She is active. She is running. She is busy. But she does it all as she embraces the headship that God has for her. And so older women teach, role model, and by example, the younger women how to do that. And then we could go into husbands, but we're not talking about husbands this morning. So, Well, why, why all this? Why all this teaching? Why, does, why is Titus supposed to teach the people at Crete to do this? I mean, some of this grinds a little bit like sandpaper. It's hard. It's not my natural inclinations. But why? Well, there we have it, that the word of God be not blasphemed, that the word of God be not reviled. Now, the unbelievers, to some extent, know what we, what we profess, okay? They know what we profess. And if we witness to them and tell them of their need for a Savior, but if our own lives are in shambles, they may revile us. What do we have to offer them if we are not? But if you love your husband, if you love your children, if you are discreet and sensible, if you are chaste and pure, if you're a homeworker and you are good, there is something there that is attractive. Even though they may as a shell, they may resist that, they may not like that, they may have bought into the world's Zyron that says this is what a woman, what how she is fulfilled is still going to be attractive. They will not revile your life. There will be something there. So the, the whole purpose of this 
the whole purpose is that a godly life cannot be hidden. There's a witness that goes along with this kind of life, and it brings glory to God. It's actually a part. It's not all, but it's a part of what builds the kingdom of God. In fact, I would think that's a major part. We're talking about mothers and the home. This is a major part of the kingdom of God. It's major. So the world, in general, lifts up favor and beauty. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So now, just a few short stories for the mothers. I had this four years ago when I had the Mother's Day message. I had this at the end of the message. So I just thought, just for a little bit of encouragement now, to keep one's voice sweet, one's face bright, one's will steady, one's patience unperturbed in the arena of the home, in the light of one's own family, is no small task. <laughs> I want to give that acknowledgement. That's by Margaret Sangster. To keep one's voice sweet and one's face bright and one's will steady and one's patience undisturbed in the arena of the home in light of one's own family, that is not a small task. And I'm sure you could agree with that. Then there's one more here. A woman told me about getting involved in a Bible study. Oh, a woman, okay, this is a woman, a gene, it's a man that's talking, said to him. A woman told me about getting involved in a Bible study that demanded strict commitment to the study of God's Word. You shall make the Bible your number one priority, she was told. That means getting up early and the very first thing in the morning, do your Bible reading and have quiet time with the Lord. So this woman did this, but to her consternation, every morning as she would start to read her Bible, the baby would wake up. She found herself resenting the interruption. Here she was, trying to spend time with God, and the baby would start fussing, demanding to be fed, and distracting her attention away from spiritual things. After a while, though, she came to understand the doctrine of vocation. Taking care of her baby was what God, at that moment, was calling her to do. Being a mother... And loving and serving her child was her vocation, her divine calling from the Lord. She could read the Bible later. She did not have to feel guilty that she was neglecting spiritual things because taking care of her baby is a spiritual thing. And that's from Jean Veith, God at Work. So I just want to say, God bless you, mothers. God bless you, older mothers. God bless you, younger mothers. Thank